the challenges voters had interacting with the touchscreen are absolutely unacceptable uh, to ESNS. And yet, ESNS let them happen. They always do. Every year, year after well, year. I don't know why I came here tonight. For decades. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Oh, no, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego. And 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's Great AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets every day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk Blanketing. The Globe, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, where I gotta tell you, I have seen a lot of scams pulled by the uh, nation's largest and arguably most failed private voting machine company, a vendor by the name of ESNS, Election Software and Systems, Inc. I've seen a lot in my day, in my decade and a half, more than a decade and a half now, of covering matters of election integrity. But what they are now trying to pull off in North Carolina, battleground North Carolina, is certainly up there amongst the most despicable and, frankly, gobsmacking as it comes just weeks before voting begins. In primaries across the nation, I will be joined momentarily by a a refreshingly progressive Democratic state senator from North Carolina who is running for the U.S. Senate to unseat Republican Senator Tom Tillis next year. And she is none too happy about what ESNS is trying to pull off in North Carolina either. And I'm happy to say she is speaking out loudly about it, even though it may be only here on the broadcast. I don't know where she is given a microphone over our public airwaves to do so on this particular topic, which seems to me to be at the very heart of our democracy. And frankly, I think it's shameful that I'm the only one yelling and screaming about it over our public airwaves. I agree with you. It is completely shameful that the corporate mainstream media is not covering these election systems problems that you've been talking about for decades. I mean, this is this is important stuff, and it's, it's like it's not thing. happening. I it's know. the whole thing. They're happy to talk about the horse race, but never mind the track conditions. 
Anyway, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, first, a, a quick impeachment update uh, here on where we are today as what would be the third ever impeachment of a U.S. president as that continues to roll forward very quickly right now towards a vote of the full House on articles of impeachment on Wednesday and theoretically, anyway, a trial for removal of the president after the beginning of the year. I don't know if freshman Democrats listen to the broadcast or not, but boy, howdy. Am I delighted to hear what they are now calling for? It is something that we first discussed on this program months ago, I think back in May initially, I believe, when we were still discussing the impeachment over Trump's obstruction of justice offenses from the Robert Mueller special counsel's report report uh, before we even got to, before we even learned about Trump's Ukraine extortion plot and the abuse of power and obstruction of Congress offenses for which he is now, yes, finally, finally facing impeachment. According to the uh, Washington Post on Sunday, a private campaign is now underway to draft Congressman Justin Amash, the former Michigan Tea Party Republican turned independent as an impeachment manager in the uh, U.S. Senate trial of Donald Trump. This would be a bid, they say, to diversify House Democrats' appeal to voters with a rare conservative voice. A group of 30 freshman Democrats led by Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota. Ah, yes. Uh, He may be an AM 950 listener up there on our great KTNF affiliate up in Minneapolis, St. Paul. He has asked House leaders to consider the libertarian-leaning congressman who left the the, uh, GOP earlier this year for the small group tasked with arguing the case for removing Trump in the upper chamber. That, according to several Democratic officials who spoke with The Post. The thinking, according to those people, is that Amash would reach conservative voters in a way that Democrats cannot, potentially bolstering their case to the public. Now, Amash is an actual conservative versus a Republican who pretends to be a conservative because that's a brand name that performs well. But Amash would also provide Democrats cover from the GOP accusations that they're pushing a partisan impeachment here. Amash is one of the most conservative members of the House. He's also a vocal Trump critic. Congressman Phillips told The Post, uh, quote, to the extent that this can be bipartisan, I think including Representative Amash amongst the impeachment managers is a smart move, both for the country, for the substance, and for the optics. He added that Amash is an attorney, a constitutionalist, and, quote, the first and only member of the Republican conference when he was a Republican to show courage in calling for the necessity of impeachment of Donald J. Trump. Well, Seems like a good idea to me, which is why I called for it so many months ago. Oh, absolutely. I think he'd be fantastic. Yeah, and and especially because, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. Republicans are putting forth this idea, this false idea, that it's a partisan impeachment because basically all of the Republicans who still had a moral compass have left the party. So only the the insane ones remain. (laughs) That's well, apparently. Well, the insane ones or the scared, cowardly ones. And Amash is neither. Now, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is the one who will ultimately make the call here. She's expected to announce the uh, House managers at some point this week, according to several Democrats. Congressman Phillips, who is in touch with Amash about the idea, said the lawmaker has agreed to consider it if asked. 
Good. The uh, move notes the post would be unorthodox, but not entirely unprecedented. Pelosi did choose a five-member bipartisan group from the House Judiciary Committee to oversee the impeachment of a corrupt federal judge about a decade ago. So she's familiar with the uh, helpful uh, necessity of such an idea. Democrats who are supportive of the idea includes uh, is a group that includes both the liberal members of the Democratic caucus, the progressives and the conservative blue dogs. So they're all getting behind the idea. Um, they all applaud Amash for his courage and standing up to Trump and to his own party. Now, he was not a, uh, a part of the House investigative process. He's neither on the Intelligence Committee or on the Judiciary Committee, but he is a former lawyer and he is a, a strict constitutionalist and well-versed in the writings of the founders. Democrats also argue that Amash's vastly different views on policy will make him an excellent choice. Congressman Phillips said there couldn't be anyone, perhaps in the entire U.S. House, whose general political views are as polar opposite from many of us in the Democratic caucus, and that's what makes it such a powerful statement that on issues of our responsibility to our Constitution, we are perfectly aligned. Phillips said he had this, quote, epiphany on the, of this idea Friday night, and he's been shopping it around ever since. Yeah, he just listened to an old rerun of the broadcast <laughs> up on uh, AM 950 in Minnesota. Anyway, meanwhile, on Sunday night, uh, late Sunday, Monday morning, the House Judiciary Committee turned over a 650-page report on impeachment. To the House Rules Committee, the House Judiciary Committee alleges Trump committed multiple federal crimes, including bribery and wire fraud in his Ukrainian scheme. The report claims that Trump spent months attempting to pressure a foreign power to interfere in the 2020 election. It outlines the basis for the two articles of impeachment that the committee voted on last week, abuse of power and obstruction of justice. Noting, quote, President Trump's own words reveal that he solicited a foreign government to investigate his political rival. The president did so for his own political gain rather than for foreign policy reasons. As Republicans are now pretending he did, even though they know full well that he did not. The testimony of experienced expert officials in his own administration, the judiciary writes, including several of his own appointees, reveal that the president used his official powers as leverage to pressure a vulnerable strategic partner to do his bidding. And every indication, they say, every piece of evidence supports that the president will abuse his power again. That report comes with a recommendation that the Senate remove Donald Trump from office. The filing comes just one day before the Rules Committee formally considers uh, the articles of impeachment in the House and two days before then the full House is likely to vote on impeachment. If approved, as believed likely, by the full House, the matter then moves on to the Senate for a trial and potential remover, removal of the president, though it will take a lot of Republicans to come on board to make that happen. But uh, members of the House will serve as the prosecutors, as the impeachment managers, 
which, uh, well, we'd all like to see Justin Amash be one of them. The 100 members of the U.S. Senate, however, they will be serving as jurors, and it is on that point that Democratic House Judiciary Chair Jerry Nadler pushed back against Senate Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and his comments to Fox News last week that he and Republican senators are working with the White House to defend the president, even though Mitch McConnell is supposed to be one of the jurors, and he pointed out that there is no daylight between Senate Republicans' position and that of the defendant, Donald Trump. House Judiciary Chair Nadler on Sunday criticized McConnell after the Kentucky Republican said that he would coordinate with White House counsel on, quote, everything regarding the looming Senate impeachment trial. Here's some of McConnell's remarks in case you missed them from last Thursday night's Sean Hannity show on Fox News. And this was before the Judiciary Committee had even approved the two articles of impeachment on Friday morning. We'll be working through this process, hopefully in a fairly short period of time, in total coordination uh, with the White House Counsel's Office and the people who are representing the president in the well of the Senate. Everything I do during this, I'm coordinating with White House Counsel. There will be no difference between the president's position and our position as to uh, how to handle this. There's no chance the president's going to be removed from office. My hope is that there won't be a single Republican who votes uh, for either of these articles of impeachment. So uh, when you hear Donald Trump talking about he hopes to get a fair trial in the U.S. Senate, what he means by a fair trial is he means a fixed trial. And the Senate Majority Republican leader has already admitted that he is working very hard as one of the jurors and uh, in charge of, you know, 52 other jurors, at least in the U.S. Senate, to fix the trial. So on Sunday on CNN, Nadler uh, said for the Republican leadership in the Senate to work with the president during an impeachment trial, that would be what he described as a, quote, subversion of constitutional order. Nadler said the Constitution prescribes a special oath for the senators when they sit as uh, as the as the jurors in an impeachment. In fact, they have to pledge, according to the Constitution, to do impartial justice. And Nadler notes here you have the majority leader of the Senate, in effect, the foreman of the jury saying they're going to work hand in glove with the defense attorney. That's a violation of the oath that they are about to take, he says. And it's a complete subversion of the constitutional scheme that, you know, that's another good name for 2019 uh, and 2018 and uh, a complete subversion of the constitutional scheme, because that is where we are. That is what we're doing. Nadler added, I hope that they will do their duty. And we'll look into this and we'll see the uncontroverted facts. Remember, these facts are basically uncontroverted, he said. Yeah, well, keep hoping, Congressman. Uh, And on Sunday, as the ball moves forward toward the Senate court, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, formally requested that McConnell uh, subpoena key witnesses in the Trump administration as the Senate's impeachment trial looms. Schumer made the request in a letter in response to the GOP Senate uh, Senate leader openly bragging about working with White House lawyers to defeat the House impeachment effort once it goes to trial in the Senate. 
The Democratic senator asked McConnell to subpoena four top figures in President Donald Trump's Ukraine scheme who ditched their scheduled House impeachment hearings. He would like to see as witnesses acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney and Robert Blair, that's his top assistant, along with former National Security Advisor John Bolton and Office of Management and Budget Official Michael Duffy. They would like to see uh, paging Mulvaney, Blair, Bolton and Duffy to the U.S. Senate. They would like to see them uh, take part in this trial. Schumer told McConnell that he would be open to having other witnesses in Trump's holdup of military aid to Ukraine testify as well. Conducting the trial, according to this plan, writes Schumer, will allow uh, the public to have confidence in the process and will demonstrate that the Senate can put aside partisan concerns and fulfill its constitutional duty And I would add uh, it would also be something that I should think Donald Trump and the Republicans who believe that Donald Trump did nothing wrong would be happy to see because I'm sure John Bolton will show up and tell us all that Donald Trump did nothing wrong. Right. Well, good luck with that, uh, Senator. Uh, But I do hope the Democrats will do everything that they can to call those witnesses and, if necessary, Leave it up to Supreme Court Justice John Roberts to block the request during the trial itself when John Roberts will be presiding over this uh, over this case. And if and if uh, Roberts won't allow these witnesses, these firsthand witnesses to these crimes to be allowed to testify, then Roberts will have to explain why he's doing he's uh, he won't do so. So uh, we will see. uh, But it's clear that if Republicans will not allow any witnesses at the trial, then I hope Democrats will consider what uh, some have been talking about over the past few days, including, I think, James Fallows over at the um, over uh, the Atlantic. Atlantic, Yes. Who says, uh, yeah, Democrats, go ahead, pass these articles of impeachment, but do not convey them to the U.S. Senate immediately. Instead, leave them hanging over Trump's head over the election year. While they continue to investigate and enforce the subpoenas that uh, the White House kept them from answering and then uh, maybe even add additional articles to the list in the bargain since there should have been more in the first place. And I think the argument from Fallows and others is that if Democrats leave it hanging over Trump's head all year long, then if he wins reelection at that point, hold the trial for removal in the Senate. But that might be too clever by half uh, for Democrats, uh, for the very conservative Democratic caucus. But we'll see. I would say counting on uh, anything at this point is a bad idea. Things change very quickly around here these days, it seems. And uh, the only thing we know for sure is that at the same time as all of this will be going on after the first of the year, Americans will be voting in the presidential and uh, election and other primaries. And yet election officials across the country are still not set on the type of voting systems they'll be using, and they are allowing our voting systems to get even worse in the bargain than they were in 2016 and even less overseeable by the public. Let's take a quick break here, and we will prepare to speak with uh, a U.S. Senate candidate who is running from a battleground state who is none too happy about how the nation's largest voting machine company has, yes, scammed her state with a bait-and-switch operation that virtually nobody in the country knows about because unless they listen to the broadcast, ain't nobody in the corporate broadcast media even talking about it. Quick break, and we are back with that and much more on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. 
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com as we are uh, getting the senator on the phone here. Robert in Michigan writes in over the weekend to bradcast at bradblog.com to say, Hi, Brad and Desi. A la Sesame Street, the vocabulary word of the next 11 months is disintermediation. Okay. Do you know what that word means, Desi uh, Doyen? Go ahead. Uh, you don't know? <laughs> I didn't either. Uh, so the definition is a reduction in the use of intermediaries between producers and consumers, for example, by investing directly in the securities market rather than through a bank. So Robert writes, democracy doesn't need e-voting. It needs we-voting. I like that. Designers and engineers and competent purchasing agents all know you can get things cheap and quick or cheap and good or good and quick, but you can't get it cheap and quick and good. Keep making voters and voting officials smarter on all of our behalf. Thanks, Robert in Michigan. Well, thank you, Robert. Yes. Uh, I have a feeling he might be talking about our ongoing coverage of the disastrous effort by elections officials around the country to force voters to vote next year on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems and the dangers therein. These uh, brand new systems that are now being deployed coast to coast before 2020, even though they have failed miserably when recently deployed in two absolutely key swing states just uh, last month in November in Pennsylvania and Georgia for where they were used for a trial run in the off year municipal elections in both states. Those battlegrounds will be key to the results of next year's elections, as will arguably the nation's most evenly divided state, North Carolina. And you won't believe what the nation's largest voting machine company just did there, nor the gobsmacking response to it by the Democrat who heads, the nominal Democrat anyway, who heads the State Board of Elections there. We will get comment on what that uh, State Board of Elections head did from Democratic State Senator and candidate for North Carolina's U.S. Senate seat, Erica D. Smith. She just happens, by the way, to be an engineer herself, so Robert in Michigan may be happy to know about that. She joins us next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks.
All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, as regular Bradcast listeners know by now, we have pretty much been the only broadcast media outlet following in very close detail the fight to prevent the proliferation of 100% unverifiable computer touchscreen ballot marking devices or BMDs across the country as they are now being deployed in a whole bunch of key 2020 battleground states such as the entire state of Georgia, huge swaths of Pennsylvania, including in Philadelphia, incredibly enough, and in North Carolina, one of the most closely divided states in the nation, which back in 2008 barely elected Barack Obama. In 2012, it barely went for Mitt Romney, and in 2016, it went for Donald Trump, but on the very same statewide ballot, voters there elected a Democratic governor for the state. So, yes, a very closely divided state. A similar 100% unverifiable BMD system is also coming, incredibly enough, to my home county of Los Angeles, the most populous county in the nation for 2020, despite the fact that cybersecurity experts have warned against these unverifiable systems and in favor of hand-marked paper ballots as the most secure, overseeable, and, yes, inexpensive system for American elections. As listeners likely also know, I am very concerned about the use of these systems, which rely on both computers and the Internet for programming and for electronic poll books that are used with them, especially with the proliferation of ransomware attacks on municipalities of late. Uh, this move to unverifiable, Internet-reliant BMDs seems like we are just asking for disaster in the upcoming primaries and the critical presidential election next year, and frankly, for no good reason at all. We got a taste of that potential disaster just last month during the November 5 off-year elections when both Georgia and Pennsylvania use their brand new BMD systems made by private vendor ESNS in Pennsylvania and Dominion Voting Systems in Georgia. Both systems failed miserably, leaving voters in many locations to wait up to an hour to cast a vote. During these sparsely attended municipal elections, imagine what it will be like next year during the uh, 2020 primaries and 2020 presidential race. In Pennsylvania's Northampton County, what happened on November 5 with the ESNS Express Vote systems was particularly disturbing, as the brand new ESNS systems uh, there ended up recording zero votes for some candidates in a number of precincts. One county judge was shown as receiving just over 100 votes total, when in fact, he had received over 22,000 votes and defeated his closest rival by more than 1,000 votes, according to what the county and ESNS now describe as an examination of the computer-marked paper ballot summaries. Though it is impossible to know if any of those summaries were actually verified by any voter as reflecting any voter's intent. Just last week in Northampton County, officials there, along with ESNS officials, gave a press conference to explain what went so terribly wrong last Election Day. As covered by Tom Shortell and Christina Tao of Northampton's local paper, The Morning Call, Election Systems and Software, or ESNS, the largest voting machine company in the U.S., failed to catch errors that its employees configured 
into Northampton County's new machines, leading to widespread problems on Election Day. Adam Carbolito, a senior vice president with ESNS, said the errors resulted in some voters having difficulty casting ballots. Other mistakes by ESNS allowed a flawed electronic ballot to be distributed to polling locations around the county. The errors should have been caught during pre-election testing, Carbolito said. But ESNS failed to properly train county employees and to review the test results. At least that's what they claim. The ESNS vice president, Carbolito, was forced to offer an apology to angry residents at, and officials at this press conference. First and foremost, on behalf of my company, I apologize to Northampton County, its administration, county council members, election officials and staff, and most importantly, to the voters of the county. The delay in results reporting and reports of issues working with the touchscreen caused concern for the county and for voters. We view this as completely unacceptable and want you to know that if not for mistakes made by ESNS staff, these issues all could have been avoided. Mm. Uh, ESNS Senior Vice President Adam Carbolito there apologizing for yet another failure added to the list of ESNS failures around the country over the years. The Election Day fiasco led Northampton County residents and some elected officials to question the, wis- the wisdom of entrusting the next election to ESNS Express Vote XL machines, according to the Morning Call. Northampton County Council members have demanded a refund on the $2.8 million purchase, and some have called for a different system for the presidential election. In 2016, that county helped uh, elect Republican President Donald Trump in Pennsylvania after supporting Democrat Barack Obama four years earlier. In nearby Philadelphia, whose voters will be key to the state flipping back to Democrats next year after it went for Trump in 2016 for the first time in decades, well, they plan to use the same wildly flawed, easily manipulated, completely unverifiable touchscreen ESNS Express Vote XLs next year as well. Mind you, Whatever actually went wrong in Northampton County, we cannot know for sure because the investigation of what went wrong with ESNS voting systems was run by, you guessed it, ESNS, the same company which has failed in election after election across the U.S. for years, many of which are documented at Bradblog.com and whose machines failed in Northampton and Philadelphia just last month. There was no independent probe, sadly, of what happened. The election officials there, as is too often the case, are relying on whatever ESNS tells them went wrong. Another key state to the presidential outcome in 2020 will once again be North Carolina. Unfortunately, they are also planning to use the ESNS express vote system, at least as of now in the state's most populous and Democratic-leaning county. That would be Mecklenburg, home of Charlotte, with more than a million people and more than enough voters to flip the entire state one way or the other. Earlier this year, we covered the fiasco when the Democratic-majority state elections board in North Carolina voted to allow these unverifiable BMD systems in the state. After the Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, uh, appointed a replacement chair to the state board of elections who voted with the board's two Republican members for a three to two vote in favor of allowing ESNS's terrible new touchscreen voting system rather than 
allowing all voters in the state to vote on verifiable, more secure, and more inexpensive hand-marked paper ballots. But last week, things got even more bizarre in North Carolina with the crooked ES&S company, as revealed by an excellent in-depth investigative report by Jordan Wilkie, who we've had on this show in the past, uh, to discuss similarly excellent reporting on this topic with Georgia's voting systems. The long and the short of it in North Carolina is this. ES&S, when seeking state certification for the express vote system in North Carolina, beginning back in February of 2017, submitted express vote version 5.2.2.0 to state certification testers. That process was completed and certification was granted by the state this past August, so almost two years later. But just last week, as we are now just weeks away from the start of voting in the 2020 presidential election, ES&S informed a lawyer at the North Carolina State Board of Elections that the company would not have enough express vote 5.2.2.0 to cover the needs of voters in North Carolina and in particular in Mecklenburg. But on the other hand, they had plenty of express vote version 2.2. 2.4.0 instead. That, however, is a completely different uh, system, different version, one that has not been tested by state inspectors. Without time to retest the new system, ESNS has sought administrative approval, in other words, just trust us approval of this new system. And incredibly, last Friday, the State Board of Elections in North Carolina, in another three to two vote, with Democratic-appointed board chair Damon Sircosta once again voting with the Republicans to allow the new untested systems to be deployed next year in the state's largest and most Democratic county in Mecklenburg. And yes, if this sounds like a Kafkaesque nightmare, it may be because it is. And as usual, almost none of it is being covered by our corporate mainstream national media, who are otherwise so obsessed with the horse race when it comes to election uh, next year for president, for the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, but not for the track conditions that the horses will be running on. Happily, however, at least one North Carolina candidate for the U.S. Senate next year is speaking out about this nightmare. North Carolina State Senator Erica Smith posted a very strong statement to Twitter last week after the revelation of ESNS uh, after their version numbering bait and switch scam, but before the state board voted to go along with it, incredibly, on Friday. Senator Smith is a North Carolina state senator running for the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate to run against Republican Tom Tillis next year. She released her comment that she had sent to the state elections board in advance of the vote, citing her, quote, grave concern regarding ESNS's extraordinary request to administratively approve a voting machine model that has not been subjected to the certification process required by state law. She charged that doing so would not be in the best interest of North Carolina voters or, quote, our current fragile democratic process and would contribute to the public's growing concerns regarding our elections integrity at the worst possible time. 
Well, I should say so. Joining us now is North Carolina State Senator Erica D. Smith. She is a three-term progressive Democratic member of the North Carolina State Senate, representing District 3. She was first elected in 2014 to the General Assembly. She was, at the time, the first woman to to serve in the Senate. She is an engineer by training, which I think may be very helpful on this topic— Senator Smith worked in both the private and government sectors in that field for over 10 years before becoming a public school educator and finally a state senator. She's also running, as I said, in the Democratic primary to win the nomination to become North Carolina's next U.S. senator in 2020 as she hopes to take on Republican U.S. Senator Tom Tillis next November. Senator Smith, thank you for joining us on the broadcast. And by the way, thank you for your strong statement against the certification and use of these terrible, unverifiable ESNS systems. Well, hello, Brad. I'm certainly glad to join you. I just wish the chair of the Board of Elections would have taken it into consideration and governed themselves accordingly. Unfortunately, they once again supported a machine that has not been tried and tested. As a three-term North Carolina state senator, as you shared, we passed a law, we passed a statute that decertified all of the older voting machines Mm -hmm. and required recertification of the new models. So in my opinion, they have broken the law or circumvented the law and have further created um, disintegration and the public trust in our uh, free and fair and um, secure elections in North Carolina. Do you have any sense of what the uh, the state board, what the chair there, uh, Damon Sircosta, could have been thinking in voting along with the two Republicans on the board to approve these systems in the first place? Uh, I, well, this was a couple of months ago in August when he first voted to allow them, and now once again, even after this bait-and-switch uh, by ES&S, do you have any sense what he must be thinking? I'm not sure what Chair Sacosta is thinking, but I did reach out to um, Chair Sacosta and one of my um, colleagues in the House, uh, Representative Greg Meyer, also spoke to Damon. Mm-hmm. And we both expressed our concern about this rush to certify or um, at least give authorization for an untested machine to be used. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in his comments, uh, Damon expressed disappointment in ES&S, but this is more of the same, more behavior of the same. Time and time again, ESS, 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 mm-hmm. ESS has been right. around forever. Yep. And if you look at their trajectory, in your introduction, you mentioned other problems in other states, yep. Georgia and Pennsylvania, but that list is not exhaustive. Nope. They've had issues time and time again of their machines failing on Election Day, mm-hmm. failing to properly count votes. More than 150,000 voters uh, for the lieutenant governor's race in 2018 mm-hmm. in, in um, Georgia didn't even show up with the machines. <laughs> and so he expresses his concern about the performance of the machine in this last-minute bait-and-switch and the predicament that ES&S has placed the Board of Elections in. And I think that with his concern, it needs to elevate to the point where we slow this process down. The board will be meeting again on uh, this coming Friday, and it will be a face-to-face meeting. And I am hopeful that more people will get engaged and involved and find out actually what Sacosta is thinking. This is not a good move for the public. This is not a good move uh, for North Carolina. And we need to stop and make sure we can ensure that this election 
which is going to be a consequential election, mm-hmm. a very big election. We're already implementing voter ID. We have to make sure our machines that we use, we have to make sure that the track is ready for the horse race. And by the way, uh, voter ID, as studies have shown, ends up uh, keeping people from voting. It actually does not protect voters, and it tends to keep uh, Democratic-leaning voters from voting. But frankly, if it keeps anybody from voting, I am not happy about it. Uh, Senator Absolutely. Smith, in, in trying to speculate what uh, Chair Sircosta might have been thinking, uh, Jordan Wilkie reported in this uh, fantastic article at Carol, uh, Carolina Public Press that Caitlin Love, who is apparently the attorney for the uh, North Carolina State Board of Elections, wrote that the only alternative, I guess, if they don't approve this, uh, frankly, extortion from ESNS, the only alternative would be paper ballots counted by hand, which, by the way, doesn't sound terrible to me. However, it's not true. Uh, Counted by hand with no accessible option for disabled voters. She says this would create litigation risk due to not having an option for voters with disabilities to vote independently and pose a significant security and reliability concern. Now, as far as I can tell, Senator, pretty much every single claim in that statement is simply wrong, yet it comes from the uh, uh, Board of Elections' own lead attorney. I guess my question is, what the hell is going on there, Senator? Do you have any response (laughs) to that comment? I I have no response whatsoever. (laughs) They're clearly misinformed. And when you are looking at this in the grand scheme of things, as a mechanical engineer, mm-hmm. I when I shared um, with the board as well as the chair, is that if you are looking at the cost that is involved, um, if we look at the cost of a, of a replacement machine, mm-hmm. a single paper ballot tabulator, um, like the DS200, cost mm-hmm. $5,750, and, and that's it. If you use the... Um, mechanisms by ESNS, that's going to require 15 voting machines at $3,300 each, roughly. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at $51,000 to go the route for each, you know, for the state of North Carolina when you're looking at it by um, voter district by voter district or mm-hmm. looking at it on the county level, as opposed to $5,000 roughly or even 7000 when you look at the cost of printing the hand mm-hmm. printed ballots. And with that cost savings, that will free up the resources and appropriations necessary to make sure you can ensure access to those with disabilities and opportunities and put put that process in place to address what the articulated concerns were of the attorney. But at the end of the day, you can have both election security also, as well as reaching um, tough-to-reach demographics and extending the accommodations that are necessary if you go with the paper ballot. So it, 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 it just it, it's unfathomable why did they you use that as an impediment <laughs> because in the grand scheme of things it's really not um, an issue and on the ground it is much safer and our votes will be more secure going with um, the paper ballot. And I have yeah I mean like all of the questions that I've jotted down here sort of end with uh, do you have any idea why what they must be thinking as far as the cost goes uh, we covered a story just a few days ago uh, out of St. Louis County Missouri my old home uh, county there where they have switched to a print-on-demand system. They have many of the same concerns. Oh, it's a large county. There's many different styles and languages and so forth. But a print-on-demand system 
did the job for them. They tried it out recently. It worked flawlessly, and it saved them something like $3 million. So there $3 is, million. Yeah. Yes. There's no question that it is cheaper. But when we look at uh, Mecklenburg specifically, as I understand it, it's allowed uh, up to the counties, I guess, is left to them to choose their own voting system, and that Mecklenburg, for some reason, really, really wants to use these systems despite all of this. And, you know, even though similar systems from ESNS failed so miserably last month in Pennsylvania. So it's another one of my questions that ends. Do you have any idea why? What is going on in Mecklenburg that they would even want to use these systems? Well, I have shared this with the um, Senate Democratic Caucus, and one of my colleagues uh, that represents Mecklenburg County has shared that the chair of the Board of Elections um, in Mecklenburg County believes that they have enough of the manpower um, and the mechanisms in place to make sure that the votes are secure. Uh, Beyond that, I... um, you know, as an engineer, you're looking at a perspective mm-hmm. of no machine is 100% fail-safe. And I'm not sure if they're looking at the magnitude of what this issue is. Now, granted, Mecklenburg is our largest county. Mm-hmm. More than a million people in Mecklenburg. Of course, paper ballots, hand-marked paper ballots, if you had to go back and check them to mm-hmm. ensure that there is compliance, that will take an awful long time for a million people. But we should not be substituting convenience for election security. Uh, And so we don't have to prioritize um, convenience over election security. And I think that's what's happening in Mecklenburg. Well, can I ask you, uh, and and by the way, thank you for saying hand-marked paper ballots, because these voting machine companies are now changing the definition of paper ballot to include these computer-marked printouts and and calling those paper ballots. But hand-marked paper ballots, a million of them, you say that it would take some time. If there is an optical scanner in each precinct, uh, I don't see why it would take any more time at all than the uh, ESNS Express vote system, which also uh, has ballots that need to be scanned at each precinct. So why would it add additional time if we went with a hand-marked, a verifiable hand-marked paper ballot system in Mecklenburg? Absolutely, and, that, and that's why I don't see why they elevated that as a concern. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, they said it would require many more poll workers. Um, more poll workers would have to be trained. Mm-hmm. We're already implementing a new protocol with a voter ID. And so I said, all the more reason, since we have a new protocol anyway, that gives us time to make sure we have the proper staff, proper personnel, the correct number of people in place, and that we can target them strategically so that these underserved precincts um, where you have have large uh, populations that vote in the evening on mm-hmm. election day, that you will have the resources you need in place to ensure that people can vote in a timely manner. So uh, as I said before, and as you shared, the reasons or excuses that have been articulated by the attorney and those in support of this um, have not been found of merit. Yeah, and I, I should also note here that if you, know, if you have 10 machines in a precinct, 10 BMD machines, only 10 people can vote at a time. If you're voting on hand-marked paper, uh, you can have as many people voting uh, at a time as you want, you know, on a clipboard yeah. and you know anywhere they want. Uh, as a long time, and I want to ask you, by the way, about the move into the Senate campaign here quickly, but as a longtime engineer yourself, I suspect you appreciate the dangers of what ESNS has pulled off here by this versioning number scam. Do, uh, do you regard this as a bait and switch by ESNS? Because, you know, they told a whole bunch of other states that, 
version 5.2.2.0 would not be available more than a year ago. It was only North Carolina that they kept it a secret and until just recently. They waited until the absolute last opportunity to tell you know, tell us in North Carolina that they um, were not going to be able to meet the demand. But they knew that at the time when they accepted the bid. And so it once again shows that ESNS is indeed a bad actor in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have compromised the integrity of this process, and we should not let them get away with it, which brings up another issue, Brad. Now, ESNS is notorious for suing districts and suing states when they don't win the contract. And so I'm almost wondering in the back of my mind, was North Carolina afraid that if they did cancel the contract and decide to go with another vendor, that ESNS um, may mm-hmm. potentially uh, start some litigation? And as you know, we have been in um, court and litigation on voter suppression mm-hmm. for the last 10 years, costing the taxpayers of North Carolina mm-hmm. now close to $10 million in um, having to defend and litigate these constitutional gerry- I mean, unconstitutional gerrymanders, mm-hmm. racial gerrymandering, partisan gerrymandering, and we've been in and out of court, in and out of court, in and out of court, and um, that is the reason why the congressional maps were provided at the last minute. We just finished that process, and so um, Sacosta did comment about not even having the congressional maps in place and filing for congressional candidates being late because of litigation, and so maybe that was what he was thinking, Um, Mm. but at the end of the day, as you said, all of the reasons articulated just don't add up. It seems like they should that they should be sued, that they should face some penalty for what they've done to uh, how they have misrepresented their own system and let you guys, you know, spend two years of testing on a system that at the end of it, they said, oh, yeah, sorry, we don't have enough of those to help you out. Uh, yes, got- and, and, and to me, they have failed to perform on their contract. Yeah. And so we definitely need to revisit this. It is hopeful. So they didn't only receive my letter. Several colleagues uh, across the North Carolina General Assembly have been reaching out to the Board of Elections. Hopefully there will be enough public pressure that there is some reconsideration of that vote. Like I said, again, mm-hmm. they meet on Friday, and there's no reason why we can't come back and revisit this. I hope so. Uh, has your main Democratic rival for the nomination for U.S. Senate this year, that would be Cal Cunningham. Has he rung in on this topic, given how incredibly important it seems to be? I mean, Mecklenburg, as I said, you know, has plenty of votes to flip the entire state one way or another. Has uh, Cal Cunningham rung in on this? And for that matter, has uh, North Carolina's Republican U.S. Senator Tom Tillis, because this really should not be a partisan issue as far as I'm concerned. It should not be a partisan issue, which concerns me. But no, my Democratic challenger has not weighed in on this. And it's almost as if no one is understanding the magnitude of this to the 2020 election. Mm. But now, the incumbent Senator Tom Tillis, now we certainly don't expect him to. After all, he was the test case for Cambridge Analytica, Mm. allowing the access to voter information in North Carolina, this illegal access of voter information. But for me, he was the test case for for President Trump in 2016. Mm. And we know all of the election interference that inter- that occurred with that. So I don't expect uh, Tom Tillis to weigh in. Um, this is right down his alley, and this is likely a large part of why he got elected the first time mm. um, against 
former Senator Kay Hagan. The challenge is there. Um, It needs to be on the radar. Anybody seeking to serve us in Washington, D.C., needs to be abreast of the issues of voter suppression, um, our election securities, and it's quite disappointing that other colleagues, other candidates pursuing an opportunity to serve the people of North Carolina don't understand the importance and relevance of serving them right now on this very important issue. Yeah, I I do hope you will press uh, as you move forward that you'll you'll press Senator Tillis and Cal Cunningham and the others who are running for that uh, uh, nomination for the uh, primary next year to ring in on this because it seems like something that, well, hell, at least all of the Democrats should be able to agree with notwithstanding the Democratic-appointed chair of the state elections board. Senator Smith, uh, I I note from your campaign website, which is America for, well, it's America for U.S., I'm sorry, Erica. Erica for us. For for U.S. Either one, it's Erica for us or Erica for U.S. Dot com. Uh-huh. I note that you're rejecting all corporate PAC donations in your run for U.S. Senate. Are your uh, challengers there, uh, Cal Cunningham and so forth, are they doing the same thing? Well, uh, that's in the eye of the beholder. Um, of course, Cal Cunningham has taken that pledge. Um, but when I say I'm not taking corporate PAC money, mm-hmm. I'm not backdooring that pledge by accepting money from leadership PACs, mm-hmm. which is just one degree of separation of the same. Um, I am the only candidate in this race uh, for U.S. Senate who is not taking or accepting corporate PAC money, and that includes leadership PACs, which is just a backdoor way of leaders in the industry um, coming together as CEOs and funding these candidates. Um, Unfortunately, my opponent has accepted almost quarter of a million dollars from leadership PACs that are tied, directly tied to corporate PAC money. I also note that, uh, according to a Fox News poll, uh, taken just last month, and yes, it's Fox News, but they have uh, very good polls, polls, actually, that you appear to be the front runner for the nomination by five points over Cunningham and are uh, actually leading Republican Tom Tillis by seven points in a head-to-head matchup poll from uh, earlier in the summer. Uh, presuming you receive the Democratic nomination, and yet Cunningham has been endorsed by a bunch of national and state Democrats and even the Democratic uh, Senatorial Campaign Committee. Why? I I don't get it, given that the polls, all my questions today end up with, why? What the hell? I know. (laughs) What's going on in North Carolina? Why uh, why is this the case, uh, Senator? Well, I I, I say this is the case because... North Carolina is looking for brand new, bold leadership. And in that bold leadership, they want somebody who's going to fight for them, Brad. Um, They don't want the status quo establishment candidate. I'm not the establishment candidate. I'm the constituent candidate. And being the constituent candidate means that you're not waiting to figure out where you're going to stand on one side of an issue that's going to be favorable for your election on the other side of an issue. Or you're waiting for the latest poll to determine um, how you're going to inform your policy. I'm the only candidate in this race, including incumbent Senator Tom Tillis, who has even released a comprehensive platform for moving our state forward, um, a, a progressive platform that 
that addresses gun control, addresses immigration, um, addresses so many issues that are critical to the average everyday North Carolinian. I know that the DSCC, um, maybe they like to recycle candidates. Maybe they like candidates who look like um, Senator Chuck Schumer. That's all I can figure out as to why they would endorse someone they endorsed in 2010, but he lost to Elaine Marshall. Um, People of North Carolina know who's been out here working day in and day out unceasingly for the last 17 years. They know um, um, who I am and what I offer in terms of being unbald and unbossed like Shirley Chisholm. I am not beholden to special interests, and when it comes down to the next United States Senator to serve North Carolina, it's not going to be selected by career politicians in Washington, D.C., somewhere making backroom deals um, in a windowless basement. It's going to be decided by the voters of North Carolina who want a champion for all of us, um, not just the wealthy few. And so I'm the only candidate that fits that demographic, and I look forward to earning their vote and not having anything given to me as an heir apparent. Well, we hope that it is decided by the voters of North Carolina, which is why this issue that you have spoken out on is so important. So I want to thank you for speaking out on, on this and the concerns about these voting systems, and because uh, I think this fight is not over by a long shot. It is not receiving the type of coverage, as I said, that it deserves in the corporate media. So if you are as outspoken and progressive on other issues as you have been on this one so far, I wish you great luck in next year's primary, and Absolutely. I hope you'll stay in touch with us uh, as things move forward. And by the way, Erica, even after you're elected to the U.S. Senate, for that matter. Yes, yes. Thank you, Brad, and thank you for bringing light on this issue. And um, hopefully we can make a positive change with what's going to come with securing our voters. North Carolina State Senator Erica D. Smith is running for the Democratic nomination for the U.S. Senate. You can find more information about her at ericaforus.com or ericaforus.com, however you want to look at it. Uh, And you can also find and follow her and thank her on the Twitters at ericaforussen20. Thank you, Senator. It has been a pleasure. Thanks, Brett. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, we get got to get out. She, she was delightful. <laughs> she wasn't was. She? she was. I was really impressed. She really understands election security issues, and she's not putting up with any crap. <laughs> I'm happy to see that from a Democrat from any state. Anyway, okay, thank you. Uh, Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is thanks to those of you who support our efforts at bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves and talk about uh, so much stuff that you just won't hear anywhere else. My thanks also to our producer, Desi Doyen, today. Thank you very much, Desiree. Yep. And I think that's it. Oh, you can drop me email as usual if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, and I hope you will find, follow, and share all that we do. We really need your help on the Twitters and the Facebooks where you can find me simply as the Brad Blog. I will see you there until I see you tomorrow on the next thrilling Bradcast. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.